setting fire to the stoner stereotype, sparking up candid conversations with cannabis researchers, entrepreneurs, and advocates. Educator, author, and advocate Dr. Mitch Earlywine is here to tackle the burning issues. CannabisRadio.com presents a no-holds-barred platform that seeks to redefine and revolutionize the entire scope of the cannabis culture while opening the door for more to join the cannabis crusade. Please welcome the host of Burning Issues, Dr. Mitch Earlywine. Hey, Cannabis Radio listeners. Thanks for joining us again on Burning Issues. I'm your host, Dr. Mitch Earlywine. As many of you know, I love all things in the cannabis world. I wrote the book, Understanding Marijuana, edited the book, Pot Politics, and I also penned the High Times column, Ask Dr. Mitch. I do my part for the movement whenever I can as a member of the advisory board for the National Organization for the Reform of Marijuana Laws, and I'm always happy to appear on CannabisRadio.com. Today, I'm super excited to have Dr. Matthew Pearson, a research assistant professor in the Department of Psychology at the University of New Mexico's Center for Alcoholism, Substance Abuse, and Addictions. Uh, Mateo's been uh, a big, big mover in the, both the alcohol and cannabis worlds for, for many years and has written some of my favorite papers. Uh, so thanks so much for being with us here, Dr. Pearson. Oh, thanks. I appreciate you having me on. Oh, uh, hey, it's delightful to get to chat a little bit about uh, some of your work. I got to confess, one of my favorite papers of yours happens to be an alcohol one, and I started out in the alcohol world myself, and it's just about sort of protective behaviors or behavioral strategies that folks might use in order to prevent alcohol-related problems. Could you tell us a little bit about those kind of ideas? Yeah, sure. So just to give a sense of my background, I mean, I've, I've really been focused on harm reduction as it relates to alcohol use. That's kind of the work that I began in graduate school and has you know, continue to the present. So the paper you're mentioning, you know, we, we just did a review. Oh, actually, it's one of the rare papers that I actually did by myself. But uh, uh, I did a review of all the literature on that in, in alcohol protective behavioral strategies. Um, and it's funny you mention it because that's kind of what got me into the marijuana field. So these are strategies for alcohol. We know using a designated driver, alternating beverages, setting drinking limits, these kinds of things that we know that if people use these strategies, they can reduce uh, their risk of harm. And that's actually how I got into marijuana is to study those types of strategies for marijuana. And, uh, you know, we're finding a lot of the same kinds of things that using these types of strategies can reduce the risk of uh, experiencing negative consequences. It's delightful to think that something as simple as, you know, putting a few extra cubes of ice in your drink or making sure you're not carrying too much cash with you can can help with alcohol-related problems. Do you feel like it's fair to say it might be that simple? I don't want to say it's that simple, but I'd say uh, because we're we're working on interventions now that are addressing how people can use these strategies more effectively. So we know that naturalistically, if we don't do anything, people are already using these strategies to kind of mitigate the risks. And, you know, what we're working on now is a lot of people have good intentions. They go out and they say, well, I'm going to use a designated driver tonight. And then there are a few drinks in and, you know, you think about it and you say, well, I don't know if I want to leave my car here. You know, I don't want to come back in the morning. Well, you know, maybe I'm not drunk and I'm not that drunk. Maybe I'll just go ahead and, and drive home. Right. So we're working on interventions right now that that, uh, you know, are in the moment, you know, delivered through mobile devices. Some people call them just in time interventions where we're trying to remind people to stick with their goals at the beginning, you know, that they set out for the at the beginning of the night. 
And, uh, you know, I think, I think there's, there are people who use these strategies very effectively. There's people who have, you know, the intentions to use them, who, you know, fail to follow through with using them. You know, we, 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 there's a lot of heterogeneity in how people use these strategies and how effective they are. So I, I think that's, that's where we are with alcohol. I mean, we've come a lot of long way. There's, we're doing actually a meta-analysis on um, the alcohol protective behavioral strategies field right now. And there's, you know, a hundred or so studies. In marijuana, there's four. So, you know, <laughs> the, the marijuana field has, a, has, has some uh, catching up to do. Well, I, I do recall uh, Eric Peterson, uh, who actually interviewed for uh, our graduate program, but I couldn't get him to come here, uh, did some work on sort of protective behavioral strategies for marijuana use. Are there things that just off the top of your head you feel like uh, folks should know as far as, you know, protecting themselves against negative consequences for cannabis? Yeah, I mean, these kinds of strategies, I, I, I'd say most people probably know these strategies. Um, and I think sometimes it helps to just be reminded, you know, these are things like selecting um, certain times to use that that are more appropriate, right? I mean, at the end of the day, after all your responsibilities are taken care of and the kids are put to bed, you know, uh, using marijuana before going to bed is, is, is you know, likely going to result in less harm than if you were to do it in the office when you're, you know, talking with your boss. So uh, that's a little bit of a ridiculous example, but, you know, setting, setting limits, you know, um, setting, you know, times, times and kind of the context that's safe. You know, there's, there's, you know, if you're in a state where it's illegal, obviously doing it out in the open, you're, you're, you're risking, um, you know, arrest, you know, in some states doing it more privately you know, is, is safer. Um, you know, this is where I'm taking a break cause I'm rambling. Sure thing. Well, let me, uh, <laughs> take a second to point our listeners to a paper of mine on this issue about timing and it's called don't wake and bake morning use predicts cannabis problems. And my students, Rachel Luba, Melissa Slavin, Stacy Farmer, and Mallory Laughlin, uh, gathered some neat data that showed up in addiction research and theory, essentially showing that anybody who uh, tends to use more often before noon ends up reporting modest but more problems than folks who say only use after 9 p.m. So I do think that buttresses your argument that timing is, in fact, a a pretty key feature as far as cannabis harm reduction is concerned. Sure, absolutely. I mean, I think think one of the the most – interesting slash infuriating gaps in the field for me Uh, when I came to the marijuana field I was really shocked at all the things that we didn't know about marijuana you know I I was researching alcohol you know for years and and was really surprised by things we that hadn't been done and one of the things is that most of research really just compares users to non-users or just looks at marijuana frequency so we you know, a lot of researchers look at what what they call they want to say words like chronic users or um, daily or near daily users. It's really just a frequency measure. And you know, I think about that with alcohol. You know, that that means that we're combining individuals who, you know, drink a glass of wine a night with the people who drink a fifth of vodka a day. We we know those are categorically different, right? We know those. That's that's we, we can't lump um, those individuals together, right? They have different, um, you know, chances of, of experiencing harms, et cetera. 
And I think that's kind of where the marijuana field is, is that often we're just looking at frequency. But I think looking at more nuanced things like, you know, when people are using, how they're using, the context they're using, all these things are important to see how marijuana is related to, you know, risk or not. Absolutely. And it's interesting how some of these items that uh, Eric Peterson's scale ends up showing about limiting cannabis use only to weekends. Uh, Nicole Walden and I had a paper years ago uh, just about uh, how high essentially uh, how quantity seemed to uh, be a good correlate of, say, respiratory irritation and things like that. And then it does kind of make for a segue for some of the vaporization uh, work. You know, my lab has done some of that, but I was curious if you have any strong feelings about vaporization versus smoked cannabis. Well, I, I guess I probably do have strong feelings. I haven't done much research on it. Uh, we, we're collecting, we, I put together a team back in 2015 called Marijuana Outcome Study Team. And uh, there, I believe we have 22 investigators from 14 institutions. And we collected data in our first year at 11 universities in 11 states. Um, this allows us to get really big samples to look at a lot of things. And it's one of those things that was left out of the battery. And right now, I think we'll be uh, done with our second year of collection and we asked a lot more detailed questions about route of administration, how people are using these things, so that we can look at that empirically. I mean, I, I kind of see it as a, there's two sides to it. Obviously, not inhaling smoke is probably better, you know, for some of the acute respiratory problems. And it seems like that, that from a harm reduction perspective, that, that's, that's something that's great. But um, on the other hand, it's, you know, um, can be used to conceal, you know, there's you know, the, I, I'm I'm constantly reminded of of people who are concerned about, you know, the children. You know, what, what how's this going to affect kids? And you know, it allows for um, people to 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 use in, in context that that they might not otherwise be able to. Um, so so I, I mean, I generally I see it as a harm reduction strategy. You know that that, um, but you know, there's there's other sides to it, I guess. I know the politics around that parenting issue can get pretty scary. I don't want to end up uh, nailed to a cross on the cover of People magazine. Um, but Rick Cusick, who was at High Times for years and years, who uh, has been working on a book now called Reefer Dadness, emphasizes that cannabis uh, and parenting need not be completely counter to each other. I'm curious if you're willing to uh, wax eloquent about those ideas uh, if you don't mind getting into stuff that may not be necessarily data-based. That's very interesting. If there's an ability to edit a part out, I'd want to edit this part out. <laughs> okay. I'd, I'd love to have the conversation, but there, there's, there's really, uh, considering some of my current positions that I hold, I, 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 I'd like to balk on that one. Sure thing, man. I really appreciate it. Well, so some other issues that come up often in the cannabis harm reduction literature have to do with mixing cannabis with other substances. I uh, was curious if you had strong opinions about that and what you might recommend to cannabis radio listeners. Well, yeah. I mean, uh, I, again, to be the scientist in me w wants to refrain from saying anything that I haven't collected data on specifically, but you know, I think I think broadly speaking, you know, mixing uh, mixing drugs is often a a way to increase the harms. You know, if you want to increase the harm of drugs, mix them with other drugs. I'd just say mixing cannabis with pretty much any drug is probably the least risky of mi of mixed drugs. You know, you mix alcohol and heroin, you, you can die. Um, you mix cannabis and alcohol, you can still die, but probably because of the alcohol. Um, so, you know, I I. 
if if I, if I had my way, from a harm reduction perspective, anyone who's using any drug would switch to cannabis. You know, um, I think I think there's enough data out there to suggest that that would be you know harm reduction strategy. Now that's not to say that you know there are individuals who are using cannabis who are experiencing problems, and it's important to understand how to reduce those problems and um, ensure these people those people can stay safe and you know live a live a live a good life. Hey, we do have to take a break now. Just uh, as my cannabis radio brother Vivian McPeak says, we've got to pause for the cause because there are flaws in the laws. We'll be right back with Dr. Matthew Pearson. Please don't go away. Come right back for more burning issues. More burning issues coming up after we blaze through these words from our sponsors. Are you disturbed by the prescription medication commercials on television and their endless list of side effects? They go on and on and you end up having to take multiple pills to counteract the problems caused by the first pill. It never ends. Have you looked into CBD as a more natural option? At Saturn Ranch, we produce all-natural CBD topicals and THC-infused edibles. Premium lab-tested hemp-derived CBD is the most important ingredient in our products. From topical bombs, salt scrubs, bath-soaking salts to tinctures and edibles, you're sure to find something to help. Family-owned and operated, we at Saturn Ranch believe in and use our products daily. Don't put anything on your body that you wouldn't put in your body. SaturnRanch.com The Cannabis World of Tomorrow converges for the first ever Southeast Cannabis Conference and Expo in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, June 9th through the 11th. Register right now at seccexpo.com. TV talk icon Montel Williams, NFL All-Stars Ricky Williams, Marvin Washington, and Kyle Turley lead some of our top-tier panels in industry information, athletics, real estate, technology, medical research, and more. Meet hundreds of vendors and thousands of entrepreneurs at the 2017 Southeast Cannabis Conference and Expo in Fort Lauderdale. Last-minute registration is open now at seccexpo.com. The next generation of vaporizers has arrived. Vuber vaporizers are blazing the way with unparalleled technology for oil, concentrate, or dry flower pens. Providing unsurpassed customer service and expert craftsmanship, Vuber vaporizers use cutting-edge technology, providing a power-packed, smoother vapor with a lifetime guarantee. Experience vaporizing the way it was meant to be, the Vuber way. Time to fan the fire on some more burning issues. Only on CannabisRadio.com. Hey, Cannabis Radio listeners, we're back. It's Dr. Mitch Earlywine at Burning Issues. We're talking to University of New Mexico's own Dr. Matthew R. Pearson. We were alluding to some ideas about cannabis substitution and uh, the essentially uh, odd but intriguing recommendation that perhaps anyone who's struggling with another substance might turn to cannabis. Do you have any opinions about that? Well, I mean, there's 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 definitely not a lot of data out there um, on this. I know that there's there's uh, rehabs being created that that you know um, you know espouse that philosophy, uh, the one that I just mentioned. I mean, I, I think the data is out there that cannabis of of the drugs that people use, cannabis is the one that that uh, carries the least risk. Um, so I, you know, whether that's gonna help somebody with long term recovery from using another substance or not. Um, that's an empirical question, you know, that, that, that needs to, I mean, honestly, the reason we founded the Research Society of Marijuana, the reason I started my research in this area doing really large multi-sites trials and multi-site studies is because 
we don't know. There's a lot of things we don't know. And, you know, I, I, you know, I try to stay out of it by listening to politicians talking about, well, we really don't know about X, Y, and Z about marijuana. And it's, 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 it's obvious that we don't know X, Y, Z about marijuana because they don't, they put up all kinds of barriers and obstacles for us figuring out X, Y, and Z about marijuana. Well, I, I'd love to transition then to uh, the points you're making about these multi-site studies. And if you could just tell us the story of how you got all that together and uh, what kind of data you might be collecting. Yeah. Um, like, like I kind of mentioned earlier, I, I kind of came to marijuana shocked at all the things we didn't know. And I come from this harm reduction perspective where we want to look at what kind of strategies people can use to stay safe and you know, reduce, ho- reduce harm. Excuse me. And my thought is the way you can quickly close, you can't quickly close knowledge gaps by doing single studies with 100 or 200 subjects at a time, you know, at one particular place. So I thought one of the one of the best ways would be to create multi-site, you know, kind of teams of researchers, get a, get big groups of researchers together, you know, to tackle bigger questions. So I mentioned the marijuana outcome study team. We've created another one called the protective strategy study team that's really much more focused on protective behavioral strategies. We have an ecological momentary assessment team that's focused more on looking at real near real-time data collection methods like daily diary studies or um, you know, collecting data via people's mobile devices as they go through the day. And my postdoc, Adrian Bravo, he's created a team called the Cross-Cultural Addiction Study Team, where we're going to be collecting data in the fall in Spain and Argentina, Uruguay, um, the Netherlands, and the United States to really look at a lot of these things cross-culturally. I just think, you know, with these large data sets, we're able to, we're able, you know, we're able to answer a lot of the research questions that you can't answer with, um, with the smaller ones. And just to give an example, one of the things I kind of alluded to, this idea that a lot of people just look at frequency of marijuana use and make little or not a really good attempt of measuring quantity and potency and all these kinds of things. And these are the things we're looking at with, you know, 8,000, 10,000, 12,000 subjects, you know, across um, all these, all these, you know, across the country and, you know, now kind of across the world. And we're able to try to see like which kind of patterns of use are most associated with harm, you know, which kind of patterns are used seem to be okay. It's kind of interesting to me that, you know, if you look in the alcohol field, a lot of people study binge drinking or what they call heavy episodic drinking, because that's kind of the modal way that people drink. And a lot of people look at smokers, you know, who who are smoking a pack a day, because most people who smoke are smoking every day. Um, But the typical marijuana user uses infrequently and not very heavily. And there's not really a lot of research on that group. We know that if you start using very early in life and a lot, you know, kind of early onset chronic users, that's where we see the biggest changes. Um, you know, I, I know uh, uh, I listened to your interview with Stacy Gruber, and I think her research is really great because she's one of the first people who really started looking at light users and say, okay, how do these light users compare to, you know, um, to non-users, for example, and they look a lot more similar to non-users, right? Um, so, so a lot of a lot of what I'm trying to do is really figure out, you know, looking at patterns of use, you know, in a in a really detailed way, and say, okay, this is how the typical marijuana user uses, and they tend to not experience many consequences. There's people on the upper end who use in a you know, um, using much more frequently, like you said, the wake and bake idea. 
Um, we, we've created a measure where we're asking people how many grams they have in every four-hour block of the day. So from midnight to 4 a.m., from 4 a.m. to 8 a.m., et cetera. And we have individuals who are using in, you know, the, whose average per week, and there's 42 blocks in a week, and their average is 32, 34, 36, which essentially means they're using it every time period that they're not asleep. So that's, that's you know, that pattern of use, e- e- even, you know, it, it might be associated with, you know, additional problems. It does seem like that frequency and quantity issue is an important one to address, and I'm delighted that you're getting such large samples on this. I feel like this also helped you spearhead the Research Society on marijuana, and I'd love to get uh, some of the tales associated with getting that off the ground. (laughs) Okay, yeah. Yeah, so, you know, I was talking actually with the vice president of RSMJ, uh, Robert Dvorak, and we were talking about the need for an organization like this, and we kind of started reaching out to some people to see if they'd like to spearhead it. And, you know, everyone was like, yeah, that's a really great idea. It's like, well, would you like to be the president? And it's like, uh, I'm a little overcommitted at the moment. And I thought, well, who are we? We're, we're little guys. You know, nobody knows who we are. How could we possibly do it? And then I thought, well, why not? You know, it's not really about us. It's about trying to create a good home for marijuana researchers. You know, what we are, we're a nonprofit focused on trying to better understand marijuana. We have individuals from various disciplines, um, you know, from individuals who are studying the medicinal benefits to people who are treating cannabis use disorder, you know, really want to um, reflect the full range. So, you know, we, in terms of what, what we are, it's important to understand we have three guiding principles and it has a lot to do with how we operate. The first one is that we're first and foremost a research society. So as someone I know likes to say, we try to let the data be our guide, right? We're, <laughs> We're not, you know, following personal or political agenda or anything. Um, and then, you know, we're a nonprofit, so we're not going to accept any, you know, uh, monies or anything um, that kind of would interfere with our motives. And, and you know, we're essentially interested in curbing human suffering. You know, we, so we're interested in especially the research that most directly um, relates to curbing human suffering or improving human, you know, well-being. Um, and, you know, I think, I think for a long time, marijuana research has been kind of on the fringe and people have been in the field for a long time, have kind of find their academic home, their conference of choice, their journal of choice, et cetera. Um, but we wanted to bring, you know, marijuana research to the fore and, and that's kind of what we're doing. So my goal really was to create a conference, you know, um, so that's what I've done. And our first conference is going to be at the end of July, July 28th to 30th in Fort Collins, Colorado. Um, regular registration is open right now. I believe for students, it's $100 to register. And for uh, professional members, it's for it's $200, which compared to every other conference I go to is exceedingly cheap because we want to be a great place for students and early career investigators. Um, but and then we've launched a journal. Robert Dvorak is the editor who uh, it's called just simply called Cannabis and we're accepting submissions. So if anyone wants to find out more about RSMJ, they can go to researchmj.org um, to find out more. But in terms of tales, what's really interesting is uh, for anyone who's not created a nonprofit, I found out that it was exceedingly easy. You know, I submitted some paperwork in my state, submitted something for the federal level. Um, and in a couple of weeks, we were a nonprofit organization with bylaws and everything. And I thought, wow, that was really easy. 
And then step two, we thought, well, we should create a website. I've never created a website before. Found it online a couple days later. Wow, that was really easy. And then we thought, well, we got to accept dues at some point. I guess we need a bank account. (laughs) (laughs) And and I thought, well, this shouldn't be any problem. And then uh, three months (laughs) of going from bank to bank to bank. I do have a full-time job, so (laughs) this is something I'm doing on the side. Uh, We just got rejection after rejection after rejection. You know, to the point where it looked like at some point it was like, maybe we're just never going to be able to bank. You know, I mean, or perhaps, I mean, we're going to be asking our members to send us cash in the mail to register for a conference, you know, which I, I think might be a little fishy. Um, but yeah, it's a spooky thought about how that all goes. I'm, I'm just delighted by the story and so grateful to you for starting the organization. And again, that's researchmj.org for the, for the website, for the research society on marijuana. Is that correct? Yes, indeed. And we're, we're super grateful and we're going to have to have you, uh, back Dr. Pearson, as you guys get more and more data and we're, we're super excited to find out about this. Um, but that's all the time we have right now. I'm Dr. Mitch Earlywine at Burning Issues. Uh, please, we'll be right back after these messages. More burning issues coming up after we blaze through these words from our sponsors. Equio, New Frontier's cutting-edge big data platform, puts the information and answers you need right at your fingertips in real time to help you more effectively run your cannabis business. Go to www.equio.io to sign up for your free membership today. Again, that's www.equio.io. Run with New Frontier and let us help you conquer the wild. Oh, let the marijuana llama tell you something now. About a game for your phone, gonna make you say, wow! The game's about the game of growing cannabis for cash. Grow the seeds, sell the bud, put the savings in the stash. Little by little, your empire grows large. Put the big celebrities inside your entourage. You can choose to play with Snoop or me or Cheech and Chong. Cypress Hill, Willie Nelson, Wiz Khalifa with a bong. The name of the game is him pink, that's the point. Download and play while you life yourself a joint. The business of cannabis should be no crime. Hemp Inc. is even hot-proofed by the man who run high times. Oh yeah, get it on Android and I and iOS today. Marijuana Llama out. Got to tend to me on crap, you know. Money don't make itself. Hemp Inc. Hi, I'm Montel Williams. Most of you know me as a talk show host, but I'm also an author, actor, single father of four, avid snowboarder, and I'm also a medical marijuana patient. Living with multiple sclerosis, I'm in pain every day. Medical marijuana is my last resort, and it helps me when all other drugs have failed. If you'd like more information about medical marijuana, you can contact the Marijuana Policy Project at mpp.org or call 1-877-JOIN-MPP. Time to fan the fire on some more burning issues, only on CannabisRadio.com. Hey, Cannabis Radio listeners, it's Dr. Mitch Earlywine at Burning Issues. Just want to add another chapter to our book of self-compassion in the art of activism. I'm eager to let everybody know that I'm really grateful for all the wonderful emails I've been getting about this section in particular. And if you do have questions, don't hesitate to reach me at 420research at gmail.com. That's the numbers 420research at gmail.com. Today I wanted to uh, talk a little bit about the idea of the observing self 
And that's uh, really just a fancy expression for being able to kind of watch our own minds, notice our own thoughts in a way that not only helps us deal with ourselves, but also interpret some of the behaviors of those around us. So uh, my friend Russ Harris from uh, Act Made Simple, the acceptance and commitment therapy maven, says uh, an intriguing idea about the sky and the weather He says, your observing self is like the sky. Thoughts and feelings are like the weather. If you think about the idea that I can have my own thoughts be sort of the clouds and the rain or the sun and the wonderful uh, breeze that goes around in the sky, but that the sky is sort of always there. It's always behind it all as the weather changes continually. I don't have to take my thoughts and my feelings quite so seriously. And sort of with that tranquility of mind, that sort of uh, cultivated witness of my own thoughts, I can, in a sense, tolerate, even accept my own emotions that way. With that idea in mind, then, as we take mindful moments, as we notice our own thoughts and treat them as thoughts, it's easy for our own time alone But it also gives us an opportunity to interact with others in a nicer way. So a lot of times I'll notice other folks may be really caught up in, shall we say, the weather. They're really caught up in their own thoughts and feelings and may have let go of the sky. They're not necessarily observing their sense of self because their mind has grabbed on so with these thoughts and feelings. And so if I catch someone in that kind of predicament... And I'm actually cultivating my observing self. I have a sort of divine way to translate some of the things that they say. And we've alluded to this in the past, but I do want to bring up the idea that perhaps folks are really just experimenting with really two messages. The message, I love you, or the question, do you love me? Now, I realize this sounds a little comic when you're in the thick of arguments or trying to negotiate uh, your duties at work, but let's take what each person says and see if we can translate into one of these two expressions. So you're having, by accident maybe, a conflict at work and realize someone's really caught up in the weather of their thoughts and feelings, and you might have the clarity of mind to ask yourself, What is this person really saying? Oh, I'm not getting this. I'm not getting that. I need more help. I need more assistance. You guys aren't doing your job. Really, doesn't that translate to, do you love me? And if I can essentially read that expression, I'm often better in my interactions then. I can often offer more reassurance. I can point out and praise all the things this person has done and then negotiate with him or her about how we could approach the intervention we need to make. A lot of times, too, folks can jump up and down and really try to get something across to you, but they can't quite articulate it, particularly if they're sober or it's early in the day. And I think, what is this person trying to say? They're saying, hey, I um, didn't know exactly how to tell you this, but um, hey, nice shirt. It's as if someone's trying to communicate something I could translate if I'm cultivating my observing self, the message really is, I love you. And this may be a chance for me to reciprocate 
even if it's just in a way that that person can understand. So I may not say, I love you too, buddy, but I might say, oh, hey, thanks for the compliment about my shirt. Here's where I got it, and here's what it reminds me of, and I really like that shirt you wore the other day too. Something about this approach to life has the advantage where suddenly the thoughts and feelings, the weather of my life doesn't have as much impact, and I'm cultivating my observing self I can spend more time really appreciating the sky. So think about the idea. What are folks trying to communicate? Could it be, I love you? Could it be, do you love me? Hey, I'm Dr. Mitch Earlywine at Burning Issues. Thanks so much for tuning in. As I always say, follow your heart and let the data be your guide. The opinions expressed on this CannabisRadio.com program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of CannabisRadio.com. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without proper consent of CannabisRadio.com is prohibited.